Amen. Good morning, New Hope. If you take out your outlines, we're starting a brand new series called Confronting Your Culture or Following Jesus in a Selfie-Centered World. And the, we're going to focus on a couple of passages of Scripture, uh, Judges 14 from the Old Testament and Ephesians 6 from the New. I don't know if any of you have ever been involved or watched a marathon. And what I know from participating in triathlons, I've never done the marathon, but I have done triathlons. What I do know is that many start out with a hiss and a roar, but a lot of people don't make it to the end. They flake out. And I think that is a strong parallel to the Christian life. Many start strongly in the Christian life, but somewhere along the line they get distracted. They get waylaid, they get weighed down, they feel exhausted in their own strength. And so they lack enthusiasm and they lack commitment to get to the end, especially they lack enthusiasm for God's kingdom. So how do you today, as a group of people, maintain strength to get to the end well? And that's what we're going to look at. Because life can be draining, just like as you're going along in a race, about, especially on the last, the, the last section of a triathlon, the run, after you've already swum and after you've already biked, you're feeling pretty wasted. In fact, when you get off your bike, you're sort of running like a duck because you, you, your legs have been doing a completely different motion. But that's okay. But how do you keep going when life can wear you down? How do you have the strength to keep going? To do the things that you know that you ought to be doing. Well, I want to start with Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. If you have your Bibles, please open them up. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. As Grant just read, your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. Let me just say this to you. It is not a matter of sheer grit and willpower. Because you know what's going to happen? That's going to run out. Your willpower will run out. I think one of my strengths is grit and perseverance. But you know what? It runs out. I found it out. And so have you if you're dead honest with yourself. So today, I want to look at three things initially that are going to weaken your spiritual life and of those that you know. That could be your children. It could be your grandchildren. These principles are from God's word. These are his words. And I'm going to look today, specifically as an example, of a man called Samson. And you'll find his story in Judges chapter 13 through 16, if you want to read that later on this afternoon and refresh your memory. See, Samson was the strongest man in the Bible physically. But spiritually, he was a peewee. He was a wimp. He didn't get it right. He was a moral wimp. He had everything going for him. He was good looking. He had beauty and ability Obviously strength, and God blessed him on his life early on because he, he did things right early on. He came from a good family. Remember that? And he came from a good home. But later on he blew it. He flaked out. He had some early successes. But somewhere along the line, Samson began to lose his strength as he got sidetracked. And I want to look at three things that wrecked his life that we can learn from and that we can avoid. If you want to avoid 
flaking out, take note of these three key things. Three things in our lifestyle that affect us today, and this is what they do. This is a net effect. It saps your spiritual strength. These three things. I'm going to quickly touch on them, then we're going to drill down. Number one is self-indulgence. Self-indulgence will weaken your life. I highly encourage you to write these things down so that you can reflect them yourself and you can also teach them to other people. Self-indulgence will weaken your spiritual life. Secondly, resentment will weaken your spiritual life. We're going to see all of these three in Samson's life. And thirdly, boy, oh boy, is this important. Carelessness will weaken your spiritual life. Three things. And if you learn to handle these three things, you will make it to the end of your race. Now, since society puts so much emphasis on that first one, Let's look at this one first. Number one, self-indulgence weakens your life. Self-indulgence. I'm talking about an undisciplined lifestyle. Living for your desires. Living for your feelings. Now, does our culture encourage or discourage self-indulgence? I don't think there's any question about that. It's they do encourage self-indulgence. Now listen carefully, even good things, good things that God has given you can become harmful if they are not bounded, if they are not controlled. Food is a blessing from God, but outside of its godly boundaries, you become a glutton. That's it. It's a good thing, and that's what sin is. Sin takes something good that God has made, and it degrades it. It Corrupts the original intent. Sex is a God-given good thing. Outside of his boundaries, it becomes evil and degraded and sinful. Outside of sleep is a good thing. Outside of God's God-given boundaries, you become lazy. That's how that works. So all of these things that are gifts in God, if they're misused... And they're out of control. They can damage our lives. Now, Samson's weakness, in this case, was what? Women. That's what it was. You read it for yourself. In three chapters, he had three women. <laughs> that should tell you something for a start. He's continually running out on relationships. Doesn't work out, and it blows up. Starts another one. Doesn't work out, and blows up. And he's scared to make commitments. Have you ever met anybody like that? We've got a society full of people like that. The Bible starts off, let's read from uh, Judges 14. Let's back up the track a bit. Then Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. And by the way, quick sidebar, Philistines, Philistinia. That's where the original name for Palestine comes from, the land of the Philistines. Just a bit of history. So he came back and he told his father and his mother, I saw a woman. (laughs) And I'm just emphasizing what the Greek says there. I saw her. And it says, one of the daughters of the Philistines, now therefore, get her for me as a wife. That's how it worked in those days in that culture. Then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman amongst the daughters of your relatives or 
amongst all of your people that you go and can, can go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good. That's exactly what the intonation is in the Greek. He saw her and he said, I've got to have her. And again, that's the NIV you get up there. It says, she looks good to me. And the Buckley translation is, she's a cracker. <laughs> get her. <laughs> so here's Famson's first mistake. What's his first mistake? You don't make decisions based on pleasure compared to God's principles. Lest we fall into self-indulgence. If we do, we do the attractive thing, the convenient thing. You know, the, pride, uh, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, what looks good to our eyes. Now the attractive thing and the convenient thing is most of the time not necessarily the right thing to do. The fact is, God had said, don't do it. His parents said, come on, Samson, do the right thing. Somebody from our own tribe, somebody from our own country. And he himself, so it was God, his parents, and he himself had even made a vow himself beforehand not to marry an unbeliever. That is really important. Do not minimize that. So when your child comes home and says they want to marry an unbeliever, now you can't force everything, but you can strongly influence. You cannot force anything. I know. I have four children. But don't roll over easily on that one. There should be a no doubt as to what the right thing to do is. So he sees this woman, and his godly convictions go clean out the window. He had the right intention early on. You can go back and read it yourself. But he sees this woman, and they're gone. He, therefore, ignores God's plans and follows his glands. That's what he does. And that happens today. You know what, in my view? It's not science that drags people away from Jesus Christ. It's sex. I'm just being straight honest with you. That's what happens. They use other things like that. Science supports the kingdom. Science supports evidence for God. It is sex. Bottom line. Don't let anybody else fool you. That's what seduces many. Many young people... And even many older people. So Samson ignores God's plans, which he was really clear about at one point in his life, but he's drifted so much that he decides to follow his glands. Now, look what God says. Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap just what kind of crop he sows. If he sows to please what? His own desires. When Samson was doing that, was that God's desire or his desire? His desire. When he does that, he'll be planting seeds of evil. You want to plant seeds of evil? Follow your own desires. That's what you need to do. If you want to plant seeds of evil, you do that. You don't, don't do it. Don't follow your desires. I follow my heart. That is blatant garbage. The Bible says a heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And don't think, oh, no, no, my heart's different. The only reason your heart will be ever different is if Jesus is truly king of your heart and he's calling the shots. 
He will be planting seeds of evil and surely will reap a harvest of, here's what you will do, spiritual decay and death. So here's, let's reverse that. Do you want to reap a harvest of spiritual decay and and death? If you want to do that, just follow your own desires. See how I got that? Derived that from that scripture? Let's say we all together as a group today are going on a cruise and we get out to about the, um, yeah, about the equator. And then the captain, we're all sitting down there having a nice quiet drink of whatever we drink. And all of a sudden the public announcement comes on. Folks, I don't want you to be disturbed. Just, but as we cross the equator, it's come to my attention that we have a leak in the boat. Now don't worry, folks. It's only about 100 mil by 100 mil. It's not a big leak, but it's a leak. You know, and by the way, there's only one of them. There's only one leak in this boat. But the fact is, it's a leak. Now, it's only a matter of time before that, sink, uh, that ship will sink. It's just a matter of time. And sometimes we delude ourselves by reasoning like this. Well, this is, I, I'm aware, not many other people are. Actually, my husband isn't even aware. I have one area of my life that's out of control. But it's no big deal because it's only one. The rest of it is pretty good. Now, I'm a little self-indulgent, but so what? A leak is a leak. And anything that's out of control in your life has the propensity to eventually sink your ship. Self-indulgence, that verse says, has consequences. Following your own desires reaps a certain crop. So the point is this, I want you to remember today. To maintain your spiritual strength, I must discipline my desires. Would you write that in? I must discipline my desires if you want to maintain your spiritual strength. And this is so important because some of you have let go of those spiritual disciplines and you're cruising. This is a lesson of 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, here, here you are. Strengthen yourselves with Christ's way of thinking. Not my way, not your way, Christ's way. Live your lives controlled by God's will, not by what? Human desires. Now just because you want something doesn't mean to say you should have it. Big lesson. Just because you can afford something doesn't mean to say you should buy it. This is about disciplining our desires. Just because everybody else is doing it. Boy, have you heard that from your kids? Yeah. And what do you say? So? And I sometimes think God says, so? I didn't call you to be like the world. Using your life to do everything else that the world's doing. I've called you to be a different people. In fact, he says it like this. In one of, in one of the scriptures, in fact, one, one of my friends once did this. As a literal demonstration, I won't do this to you, Esther, don't worry. Or to you, Desmond. But he had somebody come up and do a handstand and turned them upside down. The scriptures say we are an upside down people. We're not to look like the rest of the world. We are to be different. We are a called out ecclesia, chosen, called out ones. We are to be different from the world. Does the world, does your neighbour see you different as anybody else? 
or are you just one of the same types of people? You say you hope your kids are hearing this message. I hope you're hearing this message because you set the example. You do. The way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the things you talk about in your home most often, what are they? If we took a tally, when my son used to play tennis, I used to sit there with a score sheet. Every backhand drive that he won or drop, I'd have a cheat and I'd check meticulously which scores, which shots he was winning and which ones he was losing. If we took a tally of what you speak about, what's the top of your agenda in your home, what would your top five things look like? Constantly, because your kids are being set an example your grandkids will learn. Now, I worry about the fact that we may be raising self-indulgent kids. Because if you can afford it, you just get it, whether you really need it or not. If I had my time again with four children, I would definitely take my children, I would broaden their perspective, even though my children have lived in three different countries, I would take them more to see what's happening in countries like where my daughter is right now, in Uganda. Some place where they can get a real perspective on what life is really about. I would do that again. Self-indulgence weakens your spiritual life and it saps strength. Number two, resentment weakens your life. Samson lived his life, as I reread the story again this week, in a state of constant anger. And his primary motivation, which comes through many times, is I want to get revenge. In one story, he kills 30 men just to get even on a bet. Kills them. We want to be around a guy. In fact, I don't like hanging around people that are angry. Judges 15.3 says this. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even. Notice the attitude. I have a right to get even. Underline that or circle it. I have a right to get even with the Philistines, and I'll really harm them. Verse 7, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge. And then verse 11, I merely did what they did to me. He's getting even all right. And his excuse was simply this, well, they hurt me first. That is not the way God wants us to behave. And here's the second mistake. The first one was when you make decisions based on pleasure rather than godly principles. And the second mistake that will drain your spiritual energy out of your life is when you react rather than act towards circumstances. Samson was reacting out of resentment. And resentment is always self-defeating. The Bible says this, Job 5.2, to worry yourself to death with what? Resentment. It's a very dangerous attitude, would be foolish and senseless. Again, the Buckley version is, you're stupid. I'm stupid. I am stupid if I get resentful. It's a senseless and foolish thing to do. That's not bright. It's the opposite of foolish. That's not sensible. It's senseless. It doesn't make sense. Job 18.4. You're only hurting yourself with your anger. There's a lot of research in the medical field that links bitterness and resentment with reduced efficacy of your immune system and cancer. 
A merry heart does good luck at medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. Okay. Resentment is a waste. It's a waste because you're always caught up in the past. You're resenting something that happened back there. You're caught up and fixated on the past. Look, stuff happens. That's true. Jesus says, you will have trouble. What's on you? But be of good cheer. In other words, get over it. There's much better things ahead. Leave it alone. It wastes energy because it drains you emotionally. You're stewing and spewing and you want to smack them. Leave it alone. Sometimes we're so creative. I've noticed when we're thinking about ways to get back at people, the guy in the office, well, that person who hurt me. Now, Samson was pretty creative. You're going to see that in Judges 15.4. He whips out and he catches 300 foxes. Now, that's a fair, a fair feat in itself. And he ties their tails together. And that took a while, I bet. And he kind of like, sort of gets their bushy old tails and he sets them on fire and pshaw, lets them go. Yeah, you go read it. Amongst all of the vines and, and their field. Next minute, the whole lot's up in flames. He's got like 300 literally wild foxes with their butts on fire, setting, uh, setting the whole place on fire. He's creative, all right. But he's being creative, driven by resentment and anger. So the Philistines were pretty ticked off about that. He's creative, but what a waste. Proverbs 29, 29, a hot-tempered man always gets into trouble. Parents, be careful uh, of the friendships your children make. If you see some of your kids getting involved with hotheads, separate that out. Encourage good relationships and discourage bad ones. We live in an angry culture. I was even looking at the Hurricane Packeringer Times a couple of weeks ago, where parents up at a local school up here, which will remain nameless, were getting angry with each other. It had almost come to blows when they were parking their kids, you know, dropping their kids off at school. People leaping out the car and screaming at each other. We live in an angry culture that says, get even whenever you get the chance. And if you don't believe that again, just go check out the Hacken Packering at Times Road Rage. The Bible says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. In other words, you're stupid if you let it rip. But a wise man, on the other hand, keeps himself under control. See, the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits that you know you're growing is your anger is under control. So the lesson is to hear is to maintain spiritual strength, I must restrain my reactions. Oh man, you can get hacked. We can all get ticked. But the more godly we are, the more spiritual strength we have, we're able to restrain our reactions because you only have a certain amount of energy. And you might as well use that in the right way. Restrain your actions and don't waste energy on resentment. Samson had a problem with this. Now, am I saying never get angry? No. There are some things you should get really tactile, but you need to control the way you express it. Sometimes it's legitimate to express your anger. For me, the killing of 12,383 babies last year is ridiculous. It makes my blood boil. What happens when a baby goes from inside, passes through a birth canal, all of a sudden it goes from a fetus to a baby? What the heck happened there? Some magic? It's okay to kill it inside, but not outside. Huh? Well, that's not even the case in some countries, but you need to control that anger. Now, there are some things you should get upset about. 
That's what I'm saying there. So number one, self-indulgence will weaken your life. Number two, resentment will weaken your life. And thirdly, and finally, carelessness will weaken your life. And this is a biggie. When we are careless with our health, it weakens us. When we are careless with our money, it weakens us. When we're careless with our words, it weakens us. Does it ever get you in trouble when you're careless with your words? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. In fact, the Bible says this, Proverbs 18.20. You, you and me, you will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. Friends, be careful in your marriage. Girls, when you get married, be careful with your words. Once they're out, very hard. In fact, you can't take them back. Some amount of damage is done. Be careful. Now, when we're careless with our time, it weakens us. When we're careless with our, this is a big one, commitments. And this is what bit Samson. When we're careless with our commitments. Here's how this works. If you promise to do something and then you don't do it, every time you break that commitment, it weakens your life. Here's a lesson for parents. Be very careful about using that word promise. Treat that as a special word. A special word. Because the dear Lord help me if I say I promise and I don't do it. Don't use it. I will try my best is fine. But don't give the word promise unless you're absolutely going to deliver on that. You promise to do something, then you don't do it. Samson originally made some commitments to God. And this is what I'm driving at. He made some commitments, some promises to God. And the Bible tells us that early in his life, he took something called the Nazarite Nazarite vow, or the Nazaritic vow. And that vow basically said this, I belong 100% to God. And then it said also, I dedicate all of my time, my energy, my effort that God has given me in this body to God's work. That's what the Nazarite vow entailed. And that also entailed three subcategories. Number one is no alcohol will pass his lips. So he never drank anything alcoholic. That's a separate subject. I'm just telling you what happened in his life. He had a special diet that made him different from the rest of the people. And he was never to cut his hair. And that was a daily reminder that he belonged to God. So he had made this commitment. And his commitment was the source of his strength. Here's something I want to proffer to you. You are only as strong as your commitments. You're only as strong as what you're committed to. But Samson, as you notice, toyed with his commitment. And he was continually compromising his convictions for convenience. Most of the time involving women. And he played around. And then he started toying with temptation. And his goal was, well, how close can I get to this edge of the cliff or the fire without getting burnt? The Bible says to you and I, that's a really stupid way of looking at this. The Bible says, avoid even the very appearance of evil. Keep away as far. Look, if the cliff's there, get back over here. Keep as far away from it as possible. Now, the best example of Samson's carelessness was his relationship with Delilah. Remember that woman's name, Simon, Delilah. 
She was the third woman in just three chapters, as I previously mentioned. But this one, he was sure, was the right one. And so when the men who were enemies of Samson found out that Delilah was his girlfriend, they hired her for around about a princely sum of about 25 grand today to find out the secret of his wealth. So every night she would woo Samson into telling her the secret of his strength. And of course Samson was a bit cocky. He thought, I'll play along with this. I kind of like this game. But he was playing with fire. The first time he said, I'll tell you the secret of my strength. If you tie me up with seven bowstrings, like, you know, strings from a bow and arrow, then my strength will be gone. So get this. The next morning, this guy wakes up and surprise, surprise, there were seven bowstrings tying him up and there were strange men in his room. You would think that would tip the guy off, right? Yeah. So he pops the strings, beats a few guys up and throws them out of the room. It's like Popeye. The next night, she says, Samson, tell me, what's the real streak of your strength? He says, well, actually, it's new ropes. Just give me some new ropes, then I'm as weak as anybody else. So he goes to sleep that night, bow new ropes, you know the deal. And then next morning, whoa, new ropes. Fancy that. Pop. Pops those guys up, knocks them all out, throws them out the door. Now, about this stage in life, you would figure that he would twig that something's going on here, wouldn't you? You know? You know, I think Samson's elevator didn't go all the way to the top, or he's being extremely mm, hubristic about his, his ability to withstand the seduction of this woman. He had more bronze, definitely, I can say this for a fact, this is I know, he had more bronze than brains. Third night, the girlfriend says, ah, Sammy baby. <laughs> now when somebody says that, be careful. A man is never weaker than when a woman is telling him how strong he is. She says, you're making a fool out of me. <laughs> and he says, well, if you braid my hair, then I'll lose my strength. Notice, he's getting closer to the truth. We've taken a step here. You know, and he's thinking, it's foolish thinking because he's thinking, I can handle this. I'm Samson. Ever heard that line? I can handle this. Leave me alone. It's my decision. I've got it all under control. I know how far to go and I won't go any further. Boy, how many times have I heard that line? Huh? He's being careless with his commitments. So the third morning wakes up and his hair's braided, but he still has strength, bloodies a few noses again and tosses the guys out, but he was careless once too often. And he kept playing with what he knew he should never have been playing with, and he finally gave in. His lifestyle of self-indulgence, point number one, resentment, point number two, and carelessness, point number three, finally caught up with him and completely weakened him. Let's pick it up in 1615. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. 
Oh boy. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. <laughs> That's quite an expression, tired to death. Verse 17 is tragic. So he told her everything. What a phrase. He finally gave in. Now recently we've seen dozens of leaders fall through scandals. Banking scandals. Some of those guys should be locked up for life. They're starting to prosecute corporate thieves in America. One guy just got, in fact, V-Dub. Head of V-Dub has just been slammed in jail. Probably die in jail. Good job. Real estate scandals. Sex scandals. You name it. Leaders in government. Leaders in sports. Leaders in business. Leaders in politics. Even leaders in ministry. You look at that kind of thing and say, good night, how does that happen? Folk who start out so good, throw it all away. How can they, and I'll tell you exactly how that happens. They were careless. They didn't, they weren't careful, full of care. They were careless about their commitments. And Christian leaders failed to take their responsibilities and their commitments to God seriously. And it didn't happen all at once. What I'm trying to say to you is they didn't wake up one day and, f- and find out, oh my goodness, I'm in a scandal. Nobody falls off the cliff, character cliff, overnight. Nobody. It starts by little slippages. Carelessness and a failure to keep basic commitments and habits. Like, here's number one, reading God's word daily. I need it. I need my head aligned every day because the culture just washes over me. But the Bible says, no, no, the washing water, the word cleanses my thinking and gets it straight. So for those of you who are serious on this point, I want to challenge you again. If anybody wants to stay strong, one of the best ways I know personally how to do this is to each week sit with your spouse or your good friend, don't have to be married, and share with them what you've been reading in God's Word. Bring your journal where you have written something each day and share out of that. If you do that, all of a sudden you have accountability, which you've never had before. That will ensure you stay in the groove. It's quite embarrassing when I get there. And let's say I missed, I don't, I'm telling you, not every week do I do it every day. In fact, some days I may get up to it five times. That's okay. Don't feel bad about that. But if you get to it zero, that's probably a problem. If the second week comes around and it's zero, I'm starting to get concerned. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you are serious, that's one way that what Kimberly and I do, we just, and it's 15 minutes we spend with each other. One day, when we review and we share, and it's good because it builds us back into us, back to where? Reading the Word of God on a daily basis and doing the things that count. Spiritual maturity is directly related to that. You can't get away with it. And some of you have drifted because of the culture, the pressure of time. You've let it take priority. All of a sudden, People wake up to a rude awakening like Samson and find they've lost it all because of self-indulgence, all about my desires, 
not God's desires. All about resentment or about carelessness. Now the lesson here is to maintain my spiritual strength, I must keep my commitments even when I don't feel like keeping them. And trust me, there are days that I don't. Your pastor doesn't. So I know what that feels like. And so do you. But I must keep my commitments to God, to my mate, to my children, to my employee or employer, to all of them accountable for. The Bible describes a person of godly character. Now look at this. You can read, it starts at verse 1 actually when you read through this, but I've just popped in verse 4. This sort of godly character always does what he promises no matter how much it costs. Have you ever done that? Made a promise and then thought, holy smokes, this is going to cost a lot more than I thought. In time or effort. I just did something similar to that at the particular place I was helping to help these people. I thought the job was going to take about maybe two days. It took me nearly 70 hours out of my own shirt on top of my normal job. But I finished it. Sometimes it's pro- uh, that, that can really challenge us. There's an old saying that says, a chain is only strong as its weakest link. And you and I are only as strong spiritually as your weakest commitment. So think about that one for God's word for a start. It's his words. And at New Hope, we have two programs that help build spiritual commitment so that you'll make it to the end. One of them is class, uh, class Christian Life and Service Seminars. Four basic classes, 101, 201, 301, 401, that guide you through the basic, the absolute minimal essentials, commitments that you need for your Christian life. And if you haven't taken those classes, I encourage you to sign up for them on the communication card. If you're already a member of this church, I encourage you to take class 201, and that's coming up on the 8th of July. And there we talk about three indispensable habits that you need to in order to maintain your spiritual strength so that you don't get fatigued and drop out. I encourage you to sign up. Now, it's, I say this because here's the deal. It is sad to say that in five years from now, some of you will be spiritually washed up. And why will that happen? Because you never took God seriously in the first place. You never made some basic commitments and stuck with them, even if it cost you in time especially. To build your Christian life on the right base. Now there's another thing we're developing in New Hope. And this is a developing area. To help you in your spiritual commitments. And that's called small groups. You need the support of others who are going, just like you, who are going through the same things that you are. So you can share with, or you can help others. You can get to know, you can pray or be encouraged by. So if you think you can make it in the spiritual Christian life by yourself, you are fooling yourself. You're not going to make it by yourself. The cultural pressure today, they are very heavy. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But you're going to have support. So what happened with Samson? 16.21. Samson's life here is a tragedy. It says, Then the Philistines seized him. This is ugly. And they gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Same place. Same place. Same Gaza. And they bound him with bronze shackles and they set him grinding in the prison. So what's happening here is the champion becomes a clown. The superstar 
hits the skids, right? He's, he's as low as he can go. And he loses his freedom. The guy loses his power and potential. And it will be tragic if it didn't finish there. The Bible tells us that in prison, this is the beautiful thing. He had a change of heart. And the Bible says it often takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Okay? He says, I'm going to finally quit playing around. I'm finally going to get serious with God. And so he recommits his life to God in the clink. And the Bible says God gave him a second chance. And if you know the rest of the story, Samson's last day of his life was his greatest victory. So after his greatest failures back there, his greatest victory comes when he gets serious about his commitments. Actually, so serious that he's listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the great hall of famers. Samson. In the who's who. So, What's the weak link in your life? Is it self-indulgence? Do you find yourself, well, just this once, just one more. I can handle it, no big deal. I can watch these things, I can read these things, I can eat these things, I can buy these things. It doesn't bother me. I can skip my daily time with God. No, it doesn't really matter. Where do you think that idea is coming from? There's only three choices. Here, here they are. Is it God? Is it my own selfish desires or is it Satan and his hordes? It's only three. So when you think that, challenge that, but wait, wrong place. So when you base your decisions, do you do it on pressure or pleasure or principle? Or number second, or is it resentment? Is this the weak link in your life that you're, you're hooked up over past hurts? Or is it carelessness? You've allowed your slippage, a slippage in your commitment to Christ. You bought the lie, you know, I'll let it slide. Ah, well, you know, I'm too busy. I won't let that bother me. Or you've been flirting with something that you know is wrong. In other words, you've been spiritually careless with your habits. What is the weak link? Think about those three things. Is there one of those which stands out to you more than another? And then the last question I want to ask you is, once you've identified which one of those links is the weakest right now, when are you going to do something about that? Why don't you do something about that now? Some of you, for example, need to be baptized. That will be your next step of commitment or join a church because Jesus is committed to his bride. He's coming back for her. He gave his life for her. He's coming back for her. She is the one uh, spiritual body that will last for eternity. Maybe you need to join a small group and get committed to be a doer of the word. Some of you are saying, well, it sounds good, but I feel like I've blown it a lot. And God could never use me. Friend, remember that God took Samson, so take heart. He never gave up on Samson, and he's never given up on you. And you can come back to him today, because in this case, we have a playboy ending up coming back as a prophet. Unused. So it doesn't matter where you've been, as much as the direction of where your feet are going today. So you come to Christ, and as Ben sung this morning, what letters in that song, I give you all my life. Would you take it? And would you make it something beautiful? Let's pray. Father, I know that there are people here today that would say, 
you've spoken to them. Some, Lord, are dealing with the area of self-indulgence. And although that area may appear small, it is a leak that could eventually sidetrack or sink the ship. There are some here today, Lord, that have been struggling with resentment who need to let it go and your spirit has prompted them. There are some here who have been careless in their commitments to you and they need to recommit and get serious. I pray, Lord, that this church will be filled with people who are not only starting well in the Christian life, but they end well and they bring others along with them. I pray that they be committed, Lord, to your kingdom and your purposes. And I pray that for my own life. I pray that also for all of our leaders. I pray for those that are here today. Help us, Lord, make commitments that we need to make and follow through with them as your spirit guides us, counsels us, corrects us, and encourages us. In Jesus' name I ask it.